Alright, this is Ricky. And this is Brendan. And you're listening to A Gentleman's Disagreement. What I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find in a case of lion's head. Folks of different minds because even though it did not share the pains we share, that American ideal friends made over arguments in an early morning buzz. Need an early morning buzz. All right, Brendan, it is December 23rd, um, Christmas Eve Eve. I'm having like a little bit of deja vu. I think I actually said this last year. (laughs) But uh, dude, I mean, I feel like, yeah, we get into December and I say it basically every episode in December that like, I have no idea how, how this year went and, uh, and all of a sudden, yeah, now we are truly at the end potentially our our last episode of the year it's been another uh another eventful one for sure um but uh yeah what are we doing yeah it's been a great year for the podcast and for you and i doing this it's our second full year and that's another to your point just kind of a crazy thing that we've been doing this two full years now we did this is our 32nd episode this year which is not bad. It's kind of like, we, I think we hope for three a month, so which would be 36, but 32 is not bad. The big focus this year from our pre, our, our first full year was getting more guests onto the program. And I do feel like we've succeeded with that. So I just want to take a minute to reflect on those guests and thank everyone who came on. We were joined back in January by Matthew Kinch. Then we had Maureen McInerney on and Austin Jackson in March and April. And then in the summer, we had Michaela Louie, Jessica Vandervoort, Jamie Kerchick, Dan Fishman. Then this fall, we had really an incredible string of guests on top of that with Steve Kornacki, Samantha Gross, Joan Bernacki, Barry McDonald, Jeffrey Robbins. And just last week, we had Rand Wilson on. So in reflecting back on the previous year of the podcast, putting those 12 names together, some of whom are friends and that we knew and some of whom we didn't. Uh, just a huge thank you to everyone that gave their time and talents and knowledge to us this year. Yeah, definitely been a big year um, for the guests. I feel like I I learned a lot and it's um, continuing to, I don't know, it gets the, it gets the gears turning in, in different ways because sometimes I feel like we get into like a little bit of a rut, but then you talk to somebody who's got just a slightly different perspective and then you, you know, it gets you, gets you motivated all over again. Yes. And, no, there's been so many times where the, our guests leave and you and I are sitting there like, oh my goodness, that was so interesting. I just want to think more and talk more. And yeah, it does fuel you to, to learn, keep learning and, and keep having these conversations, whether it's on the podcast or outside of it. So again, another huge thank you to all the guests that came on. Also want to thank everyone that's listened over the course of the year. So two full years in, whether you have been a listener since day one, or you picked it up over the course of this year, if you listen to every episode or just a few episodes, we really appreciate the support. It's been really incredible to, to have people talk, to us about it offline and follow up with us and want to continue having these conversations. If, you know, into the, into the new year, if you want to continue to support us, the biggest thing you can do is just continue to to listen and to spread the word. I, I think, you know, for people that are with their friends and families over the course of this holiday season, if, if you let people know about us and 
give us a, a show, we we certainly appreciate it. You can also follow us for on Instagram at a underscore gentleman's disagreement. Um, on Instagram, we're also on Facebook, and you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, whatever. But again, the most important thing that you've given us is the gift of your time and listening, and we can't thank you enough for that. Yeah, no, uh, definitely want to echo Brendan here, and I think that was that was really well said. I mean, we sort of set out here. I think we always say it that we didn't, you know, we're not necessarily trying to be the uh the next joe rogan or um you know whatever uh, other podcast is getting millions of listeners but it is it's always fun to hear um you know our friends and 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 even a a couple of strangers um reactions to some of the thoughts that we've been able to put together and to put on this podcast whether our own or through our guests um and i think that's the whole idea just to you know make make people think a little bit differently, a little bit beyond the sound bites and the headlines and um, you know, any chance that we get to do that and any feedback we get that we are on occasion stumbling on something interesting and something um, that you, yeah, that you maybe don't get to hear everywhere else is, is it's certainly gratifying. And um, like you said, that is, that is all the support that we need. It's just for, for folks to listen and let us know what you're thinking. One last person to thank before we get into the episode, and that's the hardworking craftsman over at Cannon Hill Woodworking. They have also stuck with us for two years at this point. And if, if you have listened to us for a while, you know that they've been building handcrafted high-end custom tables in Boston since 2018. They've had a phenomenal year. You can also follow them on Instagram. It's Cannon with two N's, Cannon Hill Woodworking, or you can visit them online at www.cannonhillwood.com. So a huge shout out to those guys. And we're so happy for all the success that they have had and all the support that they've given us. Totally. And yeah, if, you know, if one of your new year's resolutions is maybe to consume a little less, but some higher quality, uh, you, you really cannot do better than, than checking them out. I saw this recent, like, um single dining room table that they made from one cut of like an oak stump and it's like it's it's gorgeous and you just can't find that really anywhere else so really uh you know all all of our bad all of kelly's bad puns aside uh (laughs) definitely uh definitely give them a look if you're if you're in in the market for some for some high-end wood furniture (laughs) absolutely all right so Yeah. Again, thank you to all of those people. And thank you for listening. This, our last episode of 2022, we're going to look back on the year that it was and Ricky and I are to give our top five stories of 2022. And then at the end, we'll look ahead and, and try to anticipate what's coming down the road in 2023. So just like last year, Ricky and I each picked five our top five stories independently. We haven't consulted on them. And in classic Ricky procrastinator fashion, he was just scrambling, wondering if he wanted to redo the orders of his list. Last year, we ended up with four of the same top five, although they were in different orders. Just a quick reminder, uh, your top three from three to one were COVID, the Afghanistan withdrawal, and the January 6th riots. Mine were from three to one, the Afghanistan withdrawal, the January 6th riots and COVID. So we'll have to see if we are as similarly aligned this year, Ricky. I don't know. So without further ado, I'm going to kick it to you. What was your fifth biggest story of the year? 
Yeah, and uh, I'll start, well, I don't really know that, uh, I'll say I'm starting on a somber note, I'm not entirely sure if it gets much more cheery, well, I do have some wins in here, okay, uh, I will, I think, um, I, I struggled a lot, as as you were just mentioning, with like figuring out the order, because I think a lot of these things don't lend themselves to great comparison in terms of importance, but my number five, um, it's kind of a combo job, so I'll see if you if you allow it or not. But um, the the Rob Elementary School shooting in May, um, followed by the bipartisan the Safer Communities Act, I think in June or July, um, first major gun legislation we've had probably since what the assault weapons ban in the nineties, um, and I think you know for bipartisan Joe Biden, that's a big win. But really for a Congress and Senate that maybe we didn't have the highest hopes for in in certain cases or in certain topics, gun legislation being one of them, this was, I would say, not insignificant. So for me, I'm going to slot that in at number five. Yeah, I had gun violence and just guns in general as an honorable mention. And just to round out some of the things that you were talking about, obviously the horrific school shooting in Uvalde, but also the Again, all of these are horrific, but the shooting at UVA, the shooting at the Walmart in Chesapeake, Virginia, the shooting at the LGBTQ nightclub in Colorado Springs. Over 43,000 Americans died of gun violence this year, over 19,000 homicides and 23,000 suicides, which is, as you and I have talked about before, is often one of those like under-mentioned, under-discussed aspects of gun violence. Um, but yeah, the Congress did act. The bill that you mentioned, the Bipartisan um, Safer Communities Act, it, it does more, it has more to do with like providing funding for mental health and school safety and expand some background checks for people who are purchasing guns under the age of 21 and uh, expands red flag laws federally in, in some ways um, and closes a couple of loopholes, uh, which if you are more like anti-gun that probably didn't do enough but to your point it was the first time congress has acted on guns since 1994 assault weapon ban so it's not insignificant and so even if it didn't go as far as a lot of people might have liked it does it did do something and i think we're often asking for (laughs) our representatives to do something and to their credit they did with that said gun violence clearly is still an epidemic here in the united states yeah i mean the uh the anti-gun person in me is just here's hoping for that slippery slope. <laughs> sure. All right. Um, for my number five, I had the January 6th committee's work and Trump's trouble in general. And we, I've wanted to talk about this more this year. I think you perhaps having a better sense of like the pulse of the nation are pretty much like most people actually don't care about that. But a lot of like political people do. And I will say that the January 6th committee just released their report yesterday, which they spent a year and a half working on. And that report recommended that the the Justice Department pursue criminal charges against President Trump. And that's historic. And they lay out in thousands of pages of evidence why they recommend the Justice Department pursuing criminal charges against him and others in his circle. 
But I just think from like a historic perspective, all of the testimony that they laid out in somewhat gripping detail over the course of the public hearings over the summer, digging into how all of this came to be, all of the people that were funding this, it's the re- at, at minimum, the record they established is historic. And more than that, we'll see what happens in 2023. But they, they've encouraged the Justice Department to go forward pursuing criminal charges against the former president, which certainly isn't nothing. Yeah, I mean, certainly. It will be interesting now that the House is um, no longer led by Democrats, like how how that sort of changes the dynamic of these types of committees and investigations. Um, I certainly had like the the specter of Trump as as an honorable mention um, throughout the year. Certainly, you know, he continues to crop up on, uh, on, in news outlets and, and different stories. And I think like uh yeah like you said mem- members of his inner circle also facing a variety of different charges um throughout the year bannon and uh and some others between state and federal level uh investigations i it's it is it is hard for me because i i'm of the definitely of the group that is just tired of tired of hearing about it and would would rather would rather forget it but i think you're right in so many ways like this is a very historic treatment of a post president of, of a past president but also uh i mean like the things that are being uncovered are also just crazy and you never really would have thought that somebody in that office would be capable of some of these things as well so it's like a very um in many ways it is good because it's like we're like you know I, I holding ourselves to these ideals i think maybe some people would argue that it's only because democrats are in power and he was of the other party that we're seeing this and well anyways i think i mean i think i think largely for the getting the stuff on the record it is all worth it. Um, whether or not I want to read it or listen to it or learn any more about it is notwithstanding. Yeah, it is fascinating in some ways that you were certainly more anti-Trump than me, or at least you were on that train earlier than I was. But now as it's progressed, I feel like I'm the one being like, we have to rule of law. We have to hold this guy accountable. And you're like, I'm just done with this whole thing. Can this guy just go away? And it's kind of funny how it's just evolved over these past few years. Uh, I will say that, obviously, President Trump has already declared he's the only candidate right now running for president. (laughs) (laughs) And it's historic, right? Not only, like, very rarely do you see a former president run again. Like, the only time it's been successful is back in, like, the late 1800s with, no, of course, I'm going to blank on the name. Um, Grover Cleveland. Grover Cleveland ran, lost, ran and won again. And so his win would be historic, but he'll certainly be, as you say, looming large in 2023. But in addition to like the House criminal referral, he's got Department of Justice investigating him for other, like for the the documents at Mar-a-Lago. He's got tax trouble in New York State. He's got criminal uh, investigation on tampering uh, with the election in Georgia. So I do think these, none of these have been knockout blows, but I think these body shots have weakened him up enough where he's going to face significant challenges 
returning to power. Yeah, I mean, it will, I, I think, you know, it is, you know, to preview the what are we looking towards in yeah. 2023. I, I mean, I think this is definitely a big thing in that if he's out there in his it's sort of on the campaign trail and he's still drawing the crowds that he's, that he, you know, he's known to draw. Um, yeah. It'll be interesting if like legally there are now hurdles to running for president when you're potentially facing criminal charges that are not going to sit well with his most ardent supporters. And like, you know, is that continues to be, you know, 60, 70% of the Republican party, meaning, right, like a big chunk of the voter base, or are those numbers in 2023, like, are people really going to be ready to step away from it? I think that's going to be, yeah, very interesting. Something to keep an eye on. All right, what do you got for number four? Uh, Oh, boy. Um, So this one also felt like a weird a weird one to throw in at number four. And I feel like I am in a lot, like I'm, I'm, I, uh, in my top five, I've got a lot of uh, political things, but in some way, this was like a big year for Congress and the courts. So at number four, um, I had the, the Congress passes protections for same sex marriage, um, which is a small thing in many ways, because like the meaningful impact I think it will have on, or like the tangible impact I think it will have on, on many people's lives may not be that broad because in many places, right. Because of prior Supreme court decisions, we've had same sex marriage for, a you know, I say a while, not that long, but we've, we've had it effectively in this country, but taking some lessons learned um, from some other landmark cases, I think it's important. And I think to your point, it has always been important to do, to create sort of the laws of the land, the federal laws through the legislative body. And I think it's, it's also, you know, you can have court cases that that sort of, try to like back their way into certain reasonings but in some ways that work to get the rest of the country on board to get like the overwhelming majority regardless of whether it's right or wrong like at some point we still have to change the minds of people um and seeing you know getting republican support for this bill in the senate and in the house obviously not unanimous but certainly a strong showing. It wasn't like, you know, just passed by a whisker kind of thing. And I think that's important. I think that's um, when people look back on our trajectory as a society, I would think this will be something that they point to and, and at, you know, in the laundry list of, of how we got to where we are today and hopefully how we, you know, continue to progress forward. So I'd put that at number four. It, Yeah. In some ways it feels bigger, in some ways it feels smaller, and it kind of depends on on how you think about it. Fair enough. And that's what makes doing these lists challenging. But I, I'm glad that you put it in there. We discussed this in a little more depth two episodes ago, um, episode 72. So if you're interested in hearing more of that discussion, feel free to top over there. But 
I'll just echo a lot of what you said in that we'll, we'll talk more about the courts, I'm sure. But my personal belief is that Congress, the legislature should make our laws. And it's like you said, even though it's that right is currently protected, the right to marry who, who you want is currently protected by Supreme Court precedent. It, I think it's powerful when our representatives make that statement and to say that we're going to respect like people's freedom and that we believe in equality. Like we, we talk about if we believe in the principles of freedom and equality, our, our legislature should be making bills that allow us to do that. And considering how far we've come and how quickly we've come in some ways from where we've been for Congress to come out and say that it, whether you bar- marry someone of the same race or uh, or someone of a different race or someone of the same gender or someone of a different gender, it's totally fine with us. And I, I think that is powerful and does make me happy. So I'm, like you say, sometimes these lists tend to be more like look back, look back at all like the negative things because they grab so many of the headlines. But this is I think, a really positive thing for the country. So I'm glad you, glad you brought it up. Yeah. All right. On to you. Number four. All right. So for number four, I had the inflation in the economy. Okay. I it's it's on on my list. I had it higher. Okay. Um, so we'll, we'll both talk about where do you have it? I had it at number like oscillating between two and three. I think okay. I'll probably stick with it at, at, at three. Okay. Uh, but mainly the inflation story, I think, is like unavoidable when we think back to to 2022 first time in you know since basically anyone can remember that the federal reserve had to has had to take some meaningful action and hike interest rates to try and cool the economy you see mortgage interest rates over five percent when like the last like 10 years it's always been going in the other direction of course still if you know between five and six percent is good historically but a far cry from where we have been um the tech sector seeing you know layoffs for the first time in in probably close to a decade and and just overall general uh unease with how um consumer prices are are increasing and we don't seem to have a path out of it um it was interesting in thinking about like coming up with this list like where to start with a lot of things because there's so I mean, obviously nothing happens in a vacuum and and these things are all intertwined in, in, in different ways. Um, and we talked about sort of COVID's impact on supply chains and on how people can work and where they can work and um, having an impact on the economy. And, and now, uh, you know, there are sort of other geopolitical events that are, that are doing similar things this year. And I think it's um, interesting, but I, I, kind of jumped in and started talking oh, about your, it was on your list. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just to add on to some of your, like the numbers that you brought up, uh, the consumer price index, which marry, uh, measures general inflation, it, it peaked at 9% over the course of the summer, which was the highest since 1981. So to your point, the vast majority of people who are, who are in the economy, this is the first time that they had seen inflation like this. You heard these horror stories from the late 70s, but most people weren't really in the economy at that point. The inflation is still, the CPI is still just under 8%. As you mentioned, mortgage rates are up over 6% now, which has doubled over the last year. There was kind of a boom and bust housing cycle where 
buying in the summer was incredibly expensive and difficult and then kind of crashed in the fall as rates started to rise. Uh, the S&P 500 is down 20% this year. Bonds, people were are buying bonds, which led to perhaps the worst year ever. And then you look at crypto, which has completely imploded in the last month or so. And, and so pretty much everywhere you look in the economy, it's been bad news this year. And it's of all the things that we I think are going to be on our list. I don't know that anyone is going to has had a greater effect on people's lives than this. And this is something that really does touch everyone. And so maybe there's, it's not on kind of the historic level, although in some ways I do think just like we talk about 1981, people for years are going to be looking back on 2022 and the inflation that happened then and all of the different factors that went into it to your point. But it also, it's it on like a day-to-day individual level this is something that touches every american and so it yeah i think it makes sense that both of us thought of it as one of the dominant stories of the year yeah yeah and it's you know also definitely going to be one to look look towards in 2023 um yeah i'm pretty sure i told you that last year and you you brushed me off saying that inflation wasn't going to be a big story in 2022 but hmm, interesting (laughs) fair enough all right so i already so you already did your number three. You got my three. All right. So let me do my number three then. This is making me nervous that we actually don't have the same top couple, but we'll see. All right. Uh, my number three was the midterm elections. And it just very political, but it's it dominated political discourse over the course of this year. And then it turned out to be historic. And again, we talked, we did a reflection on the election cycle that you can go listen to in more depth, but just to reiterate how unprecedented this was, the Democratic Party won a seat, an additional seat in the Senate, which is the first time that that had happened since 1934 in, in FDR's administration. It's the first time that no incumbent senator had lost from either party. And Democrats bucked really every historical trend. And Ricky, you and I were talking all summer about this red wave and even the guests that we were having on who are far smarter and more tuned in than us were saying that the red wave was inevitable because all of the measures, President Biden's low approval rating, a terrible economy, a, a rather like favorable environment for Republican candidates. And it just didn't materialize. And, and that's it. Just like we talk about some of these like historic elections and other places, like people were still referencing an election from 1934. The fact that it hadn't happened in 90 years is significant. So not only do I think it did it dominate the news cycle for so much of the year, but then the results are historic of themselves, which, which is why to me, it was such an important story this year. Yeah, no, no, totally. And I, I mean, I, I, absolutely had the midterms in my kind of honorable mention section. I think part of the reasons that I dropped it um, are that now we have, you know, split house in Congress in, in, I guess the result of the midterms really just means that, you know, the back half of the Biden administration's agenda is going to be largely thwarted. And so while it's like a, while all of those things that you listed are historic and are certainly true and and things could have been very different and and you know it, it obviously sort of sets up 
the next presidency in many ways for like how how they roll into uh you know what what senate they inherit um and so you know there are there's there are definitely going to be ramifications from this but perhaps one of the reasons that i didn't have it as high on my list is that i might have been a little less surprised than you i think back in june if you will recall following some important supreme court uh rulings i opined that this was finally going to be something to energize Democrats who had largely been comfortable sitting on the sidelines, despite um, so many different things happening. And I, and I do think largely we saw a lot of that because like you said, I mean, like we just talked about with the economy, um, the fact that no sitting incumbents were replaced in, in a time when the economy was, is doing what it has been doing is beyond like that is that is perhaps the most surprising thing just from like the conventional wisdom of like what do people care about when they go to vote um and perhaps upending that a little bit in this midterm cycle but i mean that you know i i think in some ways democrats have been saying oh this is you know this is going to happen every time and it had really never happened and this time it did so i yeah i don't I won't uh, won't call myself Nostradamus here for anything, but uh, <laughs> I'll just throw that one out there. Fair enough. And to look ahead to your point is I do think that these midterms also shaped what's, in, what's going to turn into the 2024 presidential race, because I think if Biden had gotten shellac, I don't think he would have run again. And I do think he's going to run now. And the fact that Trump's candidates largely did get shellac makes him weaker. And it probably invites a larger presidential primary field. So from that perspective, and also the 2024 Senate map, which is really not favorable for Democrats, the fact that they were able to gain seats in Georgia and Pennsylvania and hold on to seats in Arizona and Nevada gives them a shot in 2024. So I think not only was the like, this election historic in itself, but it, it lays a lot of foundations that I think are potentially like historically altering going forward. Yeah. And I mean, beyond that angle, which I did not consider, um, which I think is an excellent point in terms of how the midterms are, are are setting up and really framing what's to come in 2024. Um, I think maybe like an unsung hero of this past election cycle is that it went relatively without a hitch. Like there were no major stories awesome. of people being like... <laughs> not believing the results of these elections, which is massive because if we came back sort of on the back of 2020 into another election cycle where everyone was questioning or not everyone, where a good chunk of the country was questioning sort of the results of the election, that's like a, that would have been a real blow to our democratic process. And I think it was encouraging that, like regardless of the results in any specific race um, that for the most part, people seem to be comfortable with how the process was run. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that, that was, that's critical and, and great for democracy. When we were, it feels like the past two years, we've been wondering how resilient we actually are. This would indicate that perhaps in a good way, we're more resilient than we thought. All right, Ricky, what do you got for number two? Uh, 
back to the courts. Supreme Court uh, overturns Roe v. Wade in the Dobbs case. Um, I also got it at number two. All right. All right. Well, all right. I think we're back on track. Then. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, in many ways, this has been, you know, a couple decades in the making in terms of re reshaping the judiciary. And we've talked about how different decisions along the way Harry Reid, I know you like to go back to to him and information is not requiring um, not requiring the 60 vote threshold. Correct. Oh, being able. Not, yeah, not requiring. Filibuster. Yeah, yeah, the filibuster. Sorry um, for judicial confirmations, um, sort of setting up the Supreme Court makeup that we have today. And then, yeah, I mean, really I, just a monumental case in and of itself and setting off just a cascade of events and a chain of events really um, from different laws coming into effect in different parts of the country, but also um, as we were talking about some rethinking around like, yeah, what needs to be most important in our politicians, I think. Um, yeah. And, if you had it at number two, I'd love to hear. You're you're better at these facts than I am, generally. <laughs> well, well, it's it's historic, and it's not that we didn't see the ruling coming, but just everything that flowed around it is is massive. We, remember, like we had the the Supreme Court leak the leak of this decision back in February at the beginning of this year, which was unprecedented in a lot of ways. And then you have when the ruling comes down in June you have the overturning of a 50-year precedent of which people, again, the vast majority of people that are have grown up today have enjoyed or had enjoyed those protections that were no longer available to them. And then we have a true split amongst the country. We have 23 states that are protecting it uh, in most, if not all, cases. And then you have 27 states where you have either partial or in some case full bans that that exist now. And in the state are now really divided in in that way. Just on the day that it happened, at least eight states, like old laws went into place that put like near total abortion bans in those places. And then consequently, as as we've seen, we've talked about numerous times, and to your credit, you did, this is where you were a little bit, Nostradamus, like it was on the ballot in Kansas and voters rejected it, rejected a, a, a total constitutional ban on abortion there. It was on the ballot in Michigan and voters rejected it there. And so it became one of the defining topics, one of the defining uh, like driving forces of the midterm elections, which we just talked about, were so important, so historic. The reason why they were in so many ways is because of this Dobbs decision. And so for all of those reasons, it's historic and important and affecting m- many people's lives daily. So it's not only in 2022 is it's so important, but certainly from a broader perspective, everything that went into the Supreme Court's decision was historic. Yeah, totally. And, and, you know, alluding to how some uh, like Justice Thomas's opinion, um, opening the door for revisiting many of these particularly like social policy decisions that had been decided by the courts in the past and then left relatively untouched. Um since that well untouched is not the right word but but um in many ways like 
becoming sort of political non-starters. Um, yeah, now now we are in kind of a different landscape. And, and I think, you know, what you said also about the overturning of 50 years of precedent, you know, uh, I think that that's, that is huge as well um, in terms of how people think about well, what is settled law and what is really settled law? I mean, we've had we've we've also had discussions about the politicization of the courts. I think one of the nice things about our ability to like go back and as you are, particularly a student of history, sort of framing that a lot of this isn't necessarily new, uh, that the courts in many ways have always been politicized, but now it's it is bringing that politicization excuse me back to the fore um and so there are i mean the case itself obviously has many many implications and ramifications but then also just generally how we view our judiciary vis-a-vis the other sort of pot bodies um of our sort of governing structure i think also shouldn't shouldn't be left um unsaid as well yeah, and to go in a more positive direction here, similar to like you commenting on this election didn't really have any notable examples of people contesting the legitimacy of the election. I think there was a lot of consternation in really since the the leak of the draft in February through the summer about how devastating this ruling was going to be culturally. Like whether it's just a, like a loss in belief in the judiciary in general and the Supreme Court in particular. And that's not to say that this ruling hasn't had a significant effect on a lot of people's lives. And it's like it's really impacted their lives. I'm not trying to minimize that at all. But I will say that the country seems to have bounced back in a way of like a lot of legislatures where abortion was already kind of legal, then enshrined that in their state laws and their constitutions and made sure that everyone in their states knew that those rights that had previously been protected would continue to be protected. And then we figure out like how, if you were against this ruling, what did Alito say? Throw it back to the states, let the people decide. And in states like Kansas or Michigan, people have decided. And so it does feel like as sometimes we get so caught up and like, oh my goodness, this is so historically bad and we've never been this bad before. And then like, you know, we, we seem to emerge on the other side and that's, positive and leaving 2022 i feel more positive than i might have in 2020 or 2021 yeah i uh, i hate to now i hate to be the cynic at the end of the year like i i i i believe what you're saying and i want to believe what you're saying i do also know that a lot of times these court cases when they sort of capture the public imagination we get a lot of reporting on them but not I don't always know that that some of the those individual stories that become the result of how this court case was decided the you know the woman or woman the like the 14 year old girl in Ohio who had to travel to Indiana to get an abortion that was possibly not going to be able to get one there and like those types of stories don't are not consistently going to be brought to the fore and um yeah and so like i don't know that i mean it this 
this decision will be momentous for for many different reasons. I don't know that we will understand the full implications of it for a long time. And that yeah, is- no, I agree with you. Yeah, that's why I kind of wanted to say like that's that's doubted by yeah, yeah, totally. the disclaimer that like it's it's effective. But I'm just saying from like a small d democracy yeah. standpoint, where like we were really concerned over the last few years about like the the sustainability of our institutions. In some ways, people have kind of accepted the court's decision. And if you didn't, there are, they, they have gone through the kind of proper, quote unquote, proper channels to make the decision go in, in their favor. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. That, that, is, that is definitely well said. Like when the system doesn't give you the answer that you want or the result that you want, you kind of have two options. It's either trying like destroy the system or work within the system to achieve the results. And like, I, I, yeah, that's, that is very well said and, and totally, uh, a totally a valid point. Yeah. All right. Well then I think that we probably have the same number one. So what do you got, Ricky? The Russian invasion of Ukraine. Had to be. Had to be. Yeah. Biggest story. I mean, this part, part of the, I mean, notwithstanding obviously, and again, yet again, the, the impacts of, the, of this invasion on the people who are like directly impacted, obviously either through through violence, through the shelling, through having to leave their homes, um, all of those are, I mean, uh, yeah, unim- unimaginable um, for for people like us who get to sit at home and kind of make a podcast about about it. But uh, there are. Yeah, so many reasons that this is the biggest story of 2022 and probably will continue to be this like, you know, hope, but hopefully not, but potentially a really significant inflection point in kind of global relations between these, you know, uh, quote unquote, superpowers, the US, obviously, the European Union, Russia and China. Um like you know we talked about inflation earlier the, the impact that the this sort of the energy flows gas from russia going into europe and then not going anymore um i mean that is a massive driver of inflation and then russian oil as well so that you know our two largest energy resources natural gas and oil um those kind of international trade agreements and policies that have been effectively upended as a result of this conflict are really driving inflation like across the world. And then of course, (laughs) well, I mean, let's not forget we are now, you know, Russia is a nuclear power and um, they are in uh, calling it a situation is just like a a horrible uh, way of framing it, but yeah, it's it is it is definitely scary, and these and international relations feel like they have not been worse in a long, long time. Um, and I mean, I'm sure I've covered some of your some of your reasons for having it in number one, but I'll let you take it away here too. Yeah, to your point, this is the biggest military conflict in Europe since World War II. It's also caused Europe's largest refugee crisis since that time. 
There have been 15 million Ukrainians who have been displaced from their homes. About 8 million of them have fled to other countries in Europe, which obviously, as we know from previous refugee crises, have like these have cascading effects on those countries. Um, Russia obviously uh, also has experienced its greatest emigration since the revolution back in 1917 because Putin, not only people disagreeing with what happened, but then Putin began conscripting people into the army up to 300,000 earlier this year. He just came out last week. The, the Russian army is currently around a million people. He said his goal for next year was to increase it to a million and a half people, which is going to lead to more emigration out of Russia, people fleeing and not wanting their, you know, their sons, their brothers, their their fathers, their you know, their husbands to, to be drafted in into this this conflict. Uh, obviously, it's been devastating in Ukraine. It's hard to know exactly how many people have died just re- with reporting on different sides, but uh, the latest Reuters ex- estimates were over forty thousand people dead, over fifty thousand people injured, uh, three hundred fifty billion dollars in, in property damage to to Ukraine and. And who knows how it's going to turn out? Uh, President Zelensky was actually made his first international trip since the conflict erupted back in February to the United States this past week. And you know, he's pleading for, for more help. And the Biden administration pledged more help, uh, including these Patriot air defense systems, which they had previously been reluctant to give him. That The United States has spent $21.9 billion in support of Ukraine this year, a, a massive, massive amount of money. And as Vladimir Putin, I think, correctly said, by by doing that, the United States has essentially inserted itself into this conflict. And while other countries have also given uh, a lot of military assistance, next highest is Britain, which has given a little over $3 billion, Germany 2.4, Poland 1.9. And those other countries are also giving humanitarian aid. In addition, the United States is doing that too. But like you say, we have this conflict that is bringing nuclear superpowers in, into more and more direct conflict for the first time since the fall of the Soviet Union. And so for so many reasons, this has been the defining story of the year. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it is one thing that continues to have me concerned about the direction of this particular administration in that the yeah, I mean it and it and it's tough. Um obviously because of what we're seeing um on the ground and and obviously what we would deem an unjust war that we feel like we need to help ukraine with the sort of means to defend itself but i think about i cannot help but think about what happened in iraq and if like if Iran had $40 billion at its disposal or $20 billion at its disposal to pump in, or if Iran did to pump into Iraq, what would we have said? Or if Russia had done that back then, what would we have said? And I I think what, dis, I mean, despite, again, and I, I feel like I come back to this, despite what we think about Vladimir Putin, I think at the end of the day, it is in everyone's best interest for this conflict to be over. And the problem with our continuing to fund Ukraine's defenses, and I'm not saying I know what the answer is, but I do know that part of the problem with continuing to fund the defenses is that it continues to prolong the conflict. Now, obviously, you can say Russia is equally, or if not more, at fault. 
But yeah, to some degree, like you said, inserting ourselves in a, in, in a conflict in a, another part of the world that is actually negatively impacting us at home from inflation and other problems. And not, not to mention this, like the global tensions that we are not solving, like regardless of who's in the right, like we're not getting to a place where we're doing better. Um, And that is, and it, yeah, it doesn't feel like that is actually being brought up at all. Like, how do we bring this to an end? It's just like, well, whenever Russia stops, they stop. And until they stop, we're just going to keep throwing money at it. Um, it's that's a that's a scary thing because we yeah, as, as you've said many times, like it's like, you know, we don't 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 doesn't really feel like Russia is winning anything here, but you continue to like poke a bear in a corner and especially one with the nuclear arsenal that Russia does. It's not, it's not necessarily like the best feel. It doesn't necessarily feel like the best, uh, best course of action. Yeah. I like that metaphor when you poke the bear in the corner, (laughs) not, not great. Uh, All right. Yeah. I think looking ahead to 2023, you and I just hope that not only that this conflict ends, but that, things get better for the Ukrainian people. They're embarking on a brutal winter given Russian tactics. And certainly our thoughts have, our support has been with them the entire time. So uh, just to run down the the lists of our top stories of the year for number five, Ricky had gun violence. I had the work of the January 6th committee for number four, Ricky had the respect for marriage act. I had the inflation in the economy for number three, Ricky had the inflation in the economy. I had the midterm elections. And then we agreed on the top two stories of the year, which tells me that, at least from our perspective, it was pretty clear top two, while the other ones might have been more difficult. For number two, we both had the Supreme Court overturning Roe in the Dobbs decision. And number one, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, which has led to so many effects, not only in those two countries, but globally. Yeah. What uh, What else did you have? on your honorable mention um, that didn't make uh, either of our top fives. Yeah, let's, let's take a break. And then when we come back, let's do honorable mentions and looking ahead to 2023. So we both have a couple of stories that we considered in making our list, but didn't quite crack our top five. And we've talked about a few of them because they were on each other's top five, but Ricky was something that we haven't discussed that you felt was at least worthy of a mention um i i mean i think this is something that we did talk about on the podcast a a while ago um probably in june or july when it happened uh the sentencing of Derek chauvin the um police officer sort of most directly responsible for george floyd's death in um you know that sort of precipitated all of all of that it did in 2020. Um, I think, you know, the first step that we talk about or that we talked about was that he was uh, tried or that, you know, that he was arrested and then tried. But this has often been the hardest hurdle to cross for people who felt like, yeah, for, for 
yeah, this idea that police officers can be in the wrong um, in these types of situations. There've just been so few cases with convictions, um, and this one was certainly not just a slap on the wrist. Um, obviously, it doesn't sort of undo what happened, but I think for how we believe in our system, we yeah. don't believe in no crime. We believe in crime and punishment, and um, and in many ways, like this is the only form of justice that we have out there. Um, and it was exacted. And I think for many people, that is um, a huge, huge deal. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, it's a good one. I'm glad you brought it up. It maybe goes to like a little bit of a theme that's developing is that like the systems seem to be working. And I think you could certainly be like, well, our police system isn't working totally fair, but again, what the deed had been done, the, the, the tragedy, the murder happened. And all we can do from that point is try to hold the, those responsible accountable. And I'm glad that we have something that I had Ricky is the intersection of sports and politics just feels like while that's not new, it's something that came up so often throughout like our conversations this year. And it started back with like the Russian invasion of Ukraine and my favorite soccer team, which was owned by a Russian quote unquote oligarch then England, the UK forced him to sell his team, Roman Abramovich. And then that brought us into like some of the other soccer clubs, biggest soccer clubs in the world that are owned by these now like state entities. We talked about PSG being owned by Qatar and Manchester City being owned by the, the UAE and Newcastle being bought by the Saudis. And that that led to that term of like sports washing. And then we had Live Golf that came in, which is the new golf tour that was funded by the Saudis and all of the consternation that was over the, the enormous sums of money that Saudi Arabia was doling out to these pro golfers to essentially make themselves, their regime look more palatable. And then and, and we had the World Cup discussion over whether or not it should have been held in Qatar, given Qatar's human rights abuses and their, their treatment of the LGBTQ population. And then like smaller things, we talked about Brittany Griner's hostage situation and why is she so famous and important? She's a professional basketball player. We talked about, uh, Kyrie Irving with anti-Semitism, like why? Why does it matter when these like really famous people are making these statements? And so it just felt like almost everywhere we turned, when you and I were just like shooting ideas back and forth, it was like this intersection of sports and politics kept coming back to the fore. Yeah, yeah, that that is definitely um, a great sort of theme for 2022. I think um, I had the World Cup just in general, like the, you know, the only sporting event that's going to get 4 billion plus people to tune in or 5 billion plus, I forget what the total, what the number is. Like, I think it deserves, um, it deserves mention. And it was, uh, you know, the irrespective of some of the other issues that we have discussed um, at length, um, a pretty, a pretty incredible tournament and, you know, hats off to Argentina for, for taking it out. Yeah, I guess it's worth, we talked about it the previous couple episodes leading up to it. So that was, I was glad you and I got to watch it together with a couple of our other friends. And it's, you know, who knows, but it, it feels like one of the best sporting events I've ever watched. Like even as it was happening, like when France came back and made it 2-2, it was like, oh my goodness, this is, it was incredible at that point. And then when Messi scores to make it 3-2 and then Mbappe scores again to make it 3-3, it was just like, it just kept getting better and better. And, an incredible finish to the tournament. Yeah. I mean, the story, the storylines too, like it's, it's yeah. absolutely, you know, the unquestioned 
dominating force in soccer for the last like 14 years. This was his crowning achievement. But at the same time, you had this kid Mbappe, who obviously, you know, a household name after uh, the last World Cup when when France did win it all, but clearly putting his mark on, on this one as well with with a hat trick in the final. Um, and he's now scored more goals in a in a World Cup final, having been in two successively than I think like even Pele and and some of the others. So it's it's uh it's pretty cool if you're if you're a soccer fan. Um, and in general, just very cool to see how the world can still come together on in a few. Oh, I love positive Ricky. End of the year, <laughs> I got him in his feels. Ricky does get like that. You don't see that as much in the podcast, but he can be like that uh ricky i got i got one more honorable mention for you uh and that was elon musk and twitter again it just feels like it kind of dominated the year in so many ways back we talked about in april when it was rumored that he was going to buy it and then back in in july it was like he's not going to buy it and then he did buy it and then he immediately reinstates trump and fires like the vast majority of the staff and it's just chaos and then he releases the twitter files and tesla's stock is tanking and he's releasing polls of people telling me she got fired and like it's not one of the most important stories of the year but it's certainly dominated headlines in a lot of ways yeah that, that's a great that's a great story i didn't actually uh that it like it didn't come to mind as i was sort of ruminating over my top stories but certainly i mean yeah for a number of different reasons all the ones that you highlighted but also like yeah this tech bill i mean this billionaire from from sort of like cars and technology coming in to take over twitter which is like a huge platform that he has used and somewhat abused over the years um but has in some ways is like this like like this good of like the public domain in that it has become this a place for people to come and exchange ideas and stuff like that. And is it really in everyone's best interest for somebody like Elon Musk to take it over? Um, that's certainly been interesting. I think the tech center, tech sector in general, um, obviously we talked about their issues with the economy, but like earlier on in the year, I think Apple crossed uh, a $3 trillion valuation in January. It's obviously come off a lot, but like that is absolutely insane. And when you think about just how, uh, you know, we've had a lot of this like massive consolidation in these in these big industries, but also just thinking about how much power and um, influence sort of we've concentrated in, in a couple of these entities and, and for for good and for bad, certainly um, is has been, I think, a, a something to think about, but also to see it, you know, ha- that tidal wave kind of cut ebb in the other direction towards the end of this year with the layoffs you mentioned at Twitter, but they weren't the only ones. Um, it was really across the the sector. And now, so now it's like, yeah, 2023 is a very different environment than the one that we were heading into in 22. You got anything else uh, honorable mention from this past year? Yeah. None of these really need too much explaining. And I don't think that they tr- truly, well, perhaps this one does. So I'll start with the the more serious one. Um, Queen Elizabeth's passing, I think, is, you know, just for for her stature is kind of the most recognizable monarch in the world. Um, and having been such a mainstay in, in sort of obviously British kind of everything like politics, but also, uh, you know, the social realm and and really 
I think, yeah, it's not, it's not God save the queen anymore. It's God save the king now, which is, uh, I didn't even know that, that there was an audible they could call there in, <laughs> in their national anthem. But um, it's, I, I think that that is definitely a big one, but of course not really surprising given her age um, and all those things. And then I had a, a couple other quick hits for you. NASA blew up an asteroid by like launching a satellite or something at it. Like that just sounds like some science fiction stuff that's insane, but also kind of very cool. Um, And potentially like an important feat that, that like, you know, we may want to keep tabs on. I think we could throw in this very recent announcement of uh, fusion energy and the react, like stuff that I don't know. I'm nearly enough about to talk about, but seemed like the way that people in the science world were very excited about it was a big deal. Um, and uh, I don't know. I, I know that we've talked about it before. So uh, I was kind of surprised to hear it. it didn't make your honorable mention list. <laughs> yeah, I think that's going to be it's something we need to go and learn more about and talk more about in 2023. But yeah, certainly science. And even when you're talking about NASA, like the launch of the James Webb telescope and any like so much like the not only the photos, but just the information that we've been able to glean from that big year for NASA, actually. Bounce yeah. back, bounce back year for NASA. It looked like, you know, it was like NASA stock down, like uh, SpaceX stock up, but 2022 flipped it a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. And I mean, along those lines, so like the part of the big uh, part of the breakthrough is that, you know, this this fusion reaction could generate electricity that's carbon free. And, you know, along those lines, I think a story of 2022, it's been really a story of like almost every year for the past five years, but these natural disasters that are supposed to be one in 10 years, one in 20 years just kept on coming. Right. We had wildfires yet again, some of the largest in our history, massive hurricane in Florida earlier in the fall flooding in Kentucky and that's just the United States droughts and wildfires across the globe, um, you know, continue to underscore that like we really as a world need to come together to figure this climate change situation out. Um, and, and, you know, I'll end on, uh, uh, <laughs> I'll end on a not so serious note. Uh, I threw the Chris Rock getting slapped by Will Smith in there for my honorable mention. I thought it was a huge story. <laughs> Maybe just because I saw it live and I was like so perplexed and amazed uh, that to me it felt like it it reverberated for a while, but maybe not so much. (laughs) Yeah, um, I'm not going to comment on that. But I will say one other thing that I did have, and this is arguably the biggest story of the year. I'm not not arguably the biggest story of the year in the podcast was your wedding, which... <laughs> massive, massive historic event that we look back to 2022. It'll be Ricky's wedding. Indeed. Well, yes, definitely a milestone in in my life, <laughs> in our life actually, because I got to have my best friend as my best man. So that's good. Oh, look at that! See, gentlemen can disagree, Ricky. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I suppose we'll leave it there. A wrap on uh on 2022 it's been another good year bud it's been a pleasure all right thanks everyone out there yeah we stay up all night 
on Garner Avenue Debating all the issues of the day No agenda, not yet Talking heads Running around till we forget where it was we began Some mornings you were away Some morning left your ego bruised But what I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find In a case of lion's head Folks of different minds Because even though we did not share Opinions we share on that American idea Friends made over arguments In an early morning buzz Need an early morning buzz Learn the hard way But to those who would die upon that hill Quiet truth is better Than a rain Somewhere along the line We seem to have forgotten Values sometimes being wrong. Some mornings you away, some morning let your ego bruise. But what I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find in a case of lion's head. And folks of different minds, because though we didn't share opinions, we share loud American ideals. Friends made over arguments. An early morning bus. I need an early morning bus. There's hope behind the bluster, cause the old Main Street may not sell. It's full of folks just like you and me. When we have trouble seeing the human for the politics, it's time to find a better way to disagree. Some days you win, some days you leave your ego through. But what I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find in case the lion's head. Folks of different minds, because though we did not share opinions, we share on that American ideal. Friends made over arguments and an early morning buzz. What I wouldn't give for. Hope I used to find in a case of lion's head Folks of different minds Because though we did not share opinions We share that American ideal Friends made over arguments And an early morning buzz I need an early morning buzz